Hello, and welcome to the Future Christian Podcast, your source for insights and ideas into what it means to live as a follower of Jesus in the 21st century. At the Future Christian Podcast, we talk to pastors, authors, and other faith leaders for helpful advice and practical wisdom to help you and your community of faith walk boldly into the future. Here's your host, Lauren Richmond Jr. Welcome to the Future Christian Podcast. This is Lauren Richmond Jr. Today I'm joined by Frida G. Sampson. Frida is an advocate for equity, justice, and radical inclusion. She is an entrepreneur, creative, and author. Her passion stems from growing up and observing her father, Reverend Dr. Frederick G. Sampson II, a civil rights leader and pastor, fight for equality for all people. Witnessing that love and action has formed the direction of her personal and professional journey. A diversity and inclusion professional, Frida provides consulting, training, and facilitation services to corporations, governmental agencies, and organizations throughout Michigan and Canada on diversity, inclusion, and cultural competency. All right, welcome to the show, Frida Sampson. Thank you so much for being here. Is there anything else you'd like our listeners to know about you? So thank you for the invitation. It is indeed a pleasure to be with you today, Lauren, and and to have what I hope is going to be a a robust and meaningful conversation and exchange. Uh, I would say in addition to uh, kind of the synopsis that is articulated in my bio, I I would want you to know that I am the granddaughter and the daughter, the sister and the niece, the cousin and friend of preachers and theologians, of academic um, leadership that represents the, the vast array of kind of the divinity expression. I personally am not a preacher, mm-hmm. um, but I, I will say unequivocally that I am a great lover and supporter of the Black church as an institution uh, and as a, a vehicle for my faith journey. And because of that, I can also be um, that hopefully important voice of reason and a critic when mm. I think we have an opportunity to do and be better. Well, that's, that's our, I appreciate you sharing that. I'm already intrigued uh, and looking forward to our conversation all the more. Uh, you mentioned uh, just hearing what you shared. And then I think if I remember correctly, reading uh, from your section in the book, talking about growing up as a, as a preacher's kid, is that correct? Uh, share yes. if you would about your faith background and uh, what that looks like today. Yeah. Well, I tell you, it has indeed been a, a journey uh, as a, as a preacher's kid. And, and I'm a member of a finite club of, of human beings walking the earth mm-hmm. as PKs, our experiences, particularly within the formal tradition of church uh, is different. It's a different experience uh, in, in so many ways from how we are perceived as individuals in that larger church narrative to how we are extensions to uh, our father or our mother who are the leaders or the pastors uh, in those in the churches. And so that has uh, come with its own uh, opportunities and its own joys and additionally its own weight. Uh, and the breadth and depth of what is required when uh, you are that preacher's child. The expectation is high. And um, if I were to be honest, the uh, the tolerance for um, 
grace can sometimes be low, yeah. right? And yeah. so that makes for a really interesting dynamic and creates, for me, speaking first person singular, uh, created for me a, a particular resilience uh, as well as um, kind of that's where my that's where my early critique of kind of the, ch- the formality of the church mm-hmm. really is seated. And so, uh, as it were, as I grew up, church for me, uh, Christian, the Christian journey uh, expressed through the dy- dynamism of church mm-hmm. was really much more formal, right? Mm-hmm. It was, it was you do A, B, and C. Uh, you worship in this way, you express yourself in this way, um, and you you operationalize your faith. I operationalize my faith within the framework of tradition, right? These are these are the things as I know them to be. Uh, I understand now that that formality was also informed to a degree by uh, the early development of my relationship with God. Hmm. Right. And so when I look at my present uh, experience or expression in contrast to who I was and to who I am and, and certainly who I will potentially continue to become, yeah. it's, it's far more relational. Right. Hmm. It's, it's not about reading the hymn in the correct way or memorizing the scripture verse by verse. Hmm. It is about the relationship I have with God. And now with some years under my belt and some opportunity to have some lived experience, my relationship is really uh, the place where I seek my Christian uh, journey, my mm-hmm. spiritual journey. So mm-hmm. those are kind of, it, that's some of it. And obviously there's, there's so much more, but those are some of the nuances between early and present. Well, I appreciate you sharing that, especially your perspectives growing up as a preacher's kid. I went to Bible college where there's many, um, many students who, whose, in my case, fathers were pastors. Uh, it was a conservative Bible college and it was, uh, it was always tragic and sad in a way to see, to see the, the students whose faith, you know, was so disillusioned not so much perhaps their faith, but just their kind of disillusionment in the church because they, they've seen, seen how the, how the sausage gets made, so to speak. They'd seen, you know, their, their, their parents be mistreated. Uh, so, uh, you know, I guess I'm grateful for you that, uh, I imagine that's somewhat probably true in your case too. I'm grateful that you've, uh, you, you've, uh, found a place still in church. Yeah. Well, you know, you are, you are spot on. It is, you you do get to see how the the sausage gets made. Um, And, and sometimes you, you, you can't unsee what you've seen. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And, 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 and that's what makes it as, as I say, kind of tongue to sheet, such sheet, such a, a particular club, because it is, it's, it's not just one or two things around uh, this journey uh, as a as a preacher's kid in my own spiritual walk, but it is the it is it's layered like an onion hmm. with with so many dimensions mm-hmm. that that absolutely to your point, Lauren, could have a profound impact on a person's personal journey, mm-hmm. having having had those experiences. 
And um, I, I, I like to live uh, in a space of full transparency where whenever I feel it's, it's safe to do so. Hmm. And so to that extent, there were certainly moments, particularly in college and, and then at later points in my life where I grappled with, with the church, yeah. Yeah. Right? with, with the, the formality and, and, and the expectation and uh, the, the rigid sometimes, not always, traditionalism mm-hmm. that is that exists within that framework. And it was a struggle because the contrast to that was I also was still a preacher's kid. Yeah. And so yeah. despite what that personal piece was, there's still the 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 importance of showing up in a way that mm-hmm. is an extension to, in my case, my father's ministry as much as I possibly can. Yeah. Well I appreciate you sharing that. Um Appreciate you sharing that story. I'm just, I'm just thinking again. Like, I was technically, technically, I'm a pastor's kid. My kids are pastor's kids, and for me, it's such a challenge to think about, you know, the ways that, you know, my, my testimony, my, my actions in the world, really will influence them. And to, I feel like just there's added. I don't know, if pressure is the right word, but more awareness, perhaps, of, um, am I making sure that. Uh, the kids are my kids are seeing not not just like f- faith lived out for me, but also in their church context. You know, and I think uh, to be able to to talk about that and to share that um, with others mm-hmm. could have a really important effect on uh, perhaps uh, young people who are navigating their spaces who mm-hmm. might not hear that particular testimony to understand that what they might be grappling with is indeed real. You know, the other piece to this, of course, is the invisibility of it. Yeah. Right. Because it's not spoken about and mm-hmm. because, um, you know, in many ways we are seen and unseen simultaneously uh, is can really position you to think, well, now is this me or are other people having experiences such yeah. as this? Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is a great conversation already. Um, perhaps let me uh, let me ask a question and frame it in this uh, in our conversation. What do you think has been a spiritual practice or devotional or some kind of faith forming thing that's kept you like you know kept you in the church with all the, the things and challenges we've talked about already here? So, a couple of things. One, it is in part how I define church. Mm. Right? And, and for me, uh, as I have grown and matured in my faith, uh, I, ha- I, I, I see in a very real way that church certainly extends well beyond the walls of any physical building. Mm-hmm. And so for me, the expression of church is animated through community mm-hmm. and, and engagement in ways that really um, is, 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 is illuminated by what we saw Jesus do, right? It is, it is to mm-hmm. not be confined to, to the restrictiveness of walls. And so because I define church and see church in that way, um, my, my, my ability to stay in it is different. Uh, but I will say this, if there were a particular practice or um, behavior that I, that I am, that I experience or animate our, uh, I progress through life with it is in these days I have learned the deep importance 
of being in conversation with God Hmm. all the time, right? And so it is, for me, not the formality of a particular prayer at a particular time, and that is fine, and Mm -hmm. I'm not I'm not suggesting that it's not. Sure. For me, it is being in conversation with God all day. And what has helped me, what has impacted me is that when I stay in, in conversation with God, I am better able to not engage in things, conversations, fodder that, um, that, can lead me to shift my thinking and shift my gaze, hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so just staying focused on God, and I'm not suggesting that it's easy because sometimes right. we get caught up in the moment, right? Mm-hmm. We get mm-hmm. caught up in a situation or a circumstance that makes it very easy to turn right or left. Um, and so no, by no stretch do I always get it right. But when I find that I'm able to either recenter and focus on God and be in conversation or stay centered and mm-hmm. focus on God and be in conversation, I do better. Yeah. Well, this is great. Thank you for sharing that. Um, So let's jump in. I had Frida on to talk about, she's editor of a new book, 100 Questions and Answers about the Black Church, the Social and Spiritual Movement of a People. So if you would talk about kind of the, the idea, formation, kind of what brought the book about. So, uh, a friend of mine, a dear friend by the name of Joe Grimm, someone who I've known for many years, who is a professor of journalism at Michigan State University. Um, when we first encountered each other, I knew of the work that he was doing around this 100 questions and answers series. Mm-hmm. Uh, immediately intrigued by, by the, the work that he was doing, uh, we had an opportunity to engage um, over the years to really just talk about what what are the elements that people are curious about, right? What are are the the faith traditions or the identities that people want to have some awareness of but don't know how to ask the questions? Mm -hmm. And so I I supported him on a book because this is a series and it has, uh, it it talks about uh, the multitude of both identities and faith traditions. Um, so I worked with him many years ago, I believe it was around 2015, on, uh, as a contributor for the 100 Questions and Answers on African Americans, hmm. where there was a delving into of just what are our cultural distinctions mm-hmm. that uh, people may want to have a better understanding of, uh, not to put on display, but to be able to participate in a more culturally competent way Mm, mm -hmm. uh, in conversations that can help create really authentic ones. And so we had been, we had been uh, going back and forth over the years talking about what would be that next project. Uh, PBS did a special uh, led by Dr. Henry Louis Gates on the black church. Uh, there was a lot of energy and excitement around that special. And so that reenacted uh, some conversation that Joe Grimm and I were having. And we just both agreed uh, a, a book around the black church uh, is so important because we talk about faith traditions, but how do those cultural frameworks inform that yeah. faith journey? And the black church is certainly an institution that is, that is steeped in both, faith and in culture. 
Yeah, that's helpful. Uh, perhaps it'd be helpful to start with uh, when you talk about uh, the black church as an institution, perhaps uh, talk about um, kind of the history and formation uh, in America, at least. So that's a huge question, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and I am not a historian, and I do not play one on television, so <laughs> I, I will not I will not be able to give you um, the full depth and breadth by any stretch. But I, I will say this: that um, when you contextualize it from historical perspective, the first question for me that comes to mind is why was there a need? Mm-hmm. Why was there a need to have an institution? that was centered around the Black cultural experience. Um, and in some ways, I think the question is, is, is easily answered mm-hmm. um, because in this country, we know that we are seated in a, in a space where racism uh, and discrimination mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and colonialism was very much a part of our narrative and is very much a yeah. part of our narrative. Right. Mm-hmm. And so in those early days, when, when, um, African-Americans, black people were, um, able to engage in any kind of tradition of, of, of faith, it was over, it was under the guise of, of an overseer, or it was limited by, uh, the, uh, inability to express yourself in a, in a safe way. And, and it was mm-hmm. seated in, in profound um, restriction, rigidity, and racism. Mm-hmm. The black church became a fundamental necessity because of the second classness that black human beings were uh, forced to adhere to in white institutional churches, being relegated to the back of the church having to sit in the balcony, being required to stay outside, being limited in the ability to have even access to the, the word mm-hmm. in, a, in an authentic way, in a, in a, a complete way. Yeah. Um, and, and quite honestly, uh, in, in the sheer expression of, of who we are as a people, understanding that some of our traditions and some of our uh, expressions did not start the day uh, that we arrived on these sure. on, on these yeah. rounds, right? But mm-hmm. there is that African ancestral expression that we brought with us uh, along the waters, and that continues to be part of who we are today. We needed we needed our own space, yeah, to be able to articulate our our expression and our belief in our way, heard and led and spoken by us. Yeah. Now, what are the, uh, as I understand it, there's seven, is that, am I remembering it correctly, historically black of the black churches historically? And what are those denominations? Yeah. So um, if you kind of go with the the earliest, Mm -hmm. uh, it's the African Methodist Episcopal Church, Mm -hmm. which is also referred to as the AME. Yeah. It's the African Methodist Episcopal Zion Church or Mm -hmm. AMEZ. It's the Christian Methodist Episcopal Church, CME. It is Church of God in Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, we often refer to it as Kojic. Yeah. And, and, uh, and the Baptist tradition, which is in- inclusive of the National Baptist Convention of America, the National Baptist Convention USA, and the Progressive Baptist, National Baptist Convention. Okay. 
Now, something that was interesting in the book um, that I thought was helpful is you make a distinction um, or you kind of delineate that not all majority African-American churches are black churches. Can you share more about that? So the distinction African-American or black is also a descriptor, Mm -hmm. right? It describes. Uh, And so it depends upon how you look at it. If you are referring to a, the church because the membership is black, Mm -hmm. then you can certainly say that churches that have black memberships are black churches. Mm -hmm. But when you expand beyond the descriptor and then delve into the cultural narrative uh, and the, um, the historical importance of the black church, there may be some difference in terms of how those churches perceive themselves. Right. So the nuances in how you're framing and asking the question. Yeah, that's helpful. That's helpful. Um, one of the things that I, that stood out to me um, from from the book is that social mission is really important in in black churches and distinguishes them from other Protestant churches. Uh, share more about that if you can, and then I want to ask you about some uh, specific examples here. Sure, uh, social mi- the social mission, uh, the social justice, the social gospel. We can uh, we can. Um, speak about it in, in all of those frameworks mm-hmm. um, is is what one of the reasons that the black church is such a important institution in the black community. Mm. And by that, I mean this, where access was not provided, was not allowed, was not negotiated, or even an opportunity around education, around employment, around uh, housing, around uh, health care where there was, there was fundamentally uh, the reduction of our humanity to being three-fifths three mm-hmm. of a person, mm-hmm. we did not have the, we did not have all the tools that are, that are available to our kind of human experience mm-hmm. to live out our best, our best lives in that way. And so the church uh, became that important instrument that helped make available ways to to educate our children and support systems to make sure our children were able to learn, uh, to be able to make connections uh, for uh, for us to for employment, to be able to provide the services, the social services in the community around healthcare and around tutoring. Um, around the economic disparity that has been so profoundly um, exercised Mm -hmm. and continues to be uh, significantly, and that's an understatement, uh, an impact on even where we are currently from a wealth perspective, right? And so the the church has has been that institution that has simply, I won't say connected the dots, but filled in on those, those deeply, crevice gaps of need and has done so consistently uh, through the generations in ways that has informed people's ability to be able to experience um, their hopes and dreams for tomorrow. Yeah. So I want to highlight a couple aspects of that. And I want to, I'm 
curious if I can hear your thoughts. You know, the black social gospel, uh, black liberation theology, and and LGBTQ plus. Uh, you you in the book you discuss those. The book discusses those. Uh, share if you would, kind of uh, maybe perhaps give a, a general sense of those those uh, for example. So yes, I will. But I also want to be really clear. Um, my my responsibility for this book was as an editor. Sure. And I I I, I want to make sure that the students who worked so hard to help bring this book to uh, fruition are acknowledged as such because there was a team of young people who really rolled up their sleeves uh, to make this uh, book even uh, possible. But, and so having said that, when we think about black social gospel, when we think about black liberation theology, let's let, let me just stay in those two lanes yeah. for just a second. Yes. So, so the black social gospel is, is indeed that, that preached word that is inclusive mm-hmm. of who we are, right? It is, it is uh, that expression through by which we both speak, but we also act in a way that is reflective of the gospel of Jesus Christ through the lens of our social responsibility to feed the poor, to, 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 to lift those in need, to, to be a voice uh, of love and of justice, right? And so much is encompassed in that capacity, right? But then when you look at it in the context of Black liberation theology, which um, was was led so uh, profoundly by Dr. James Cone yeah. in terms of really constructing um, a, a language and a narrative and, and a critique uh, and a theological um, kind of clarity and understanding of what that is. It is knowing that when I see God, I see me because I'm a reflection of God. And so when I see God, mm-hmm. I see a black woman, yeah. right? And, and so it is, it is that the, the liberation is that, that when we see our faith as a part of our experience, mm-hmm. and, and I'm doing Dr. Cone no justice, not <laughs> a theologian, <laughs> but to the takeaway that I have is that when we look at Black liberation theology, it is indeed to liberate both our spirit and our mind, our soul and our heart mm. around understanding that um, the theology that expresses who we are and and our value and importance and contribution uh, to God's complete picture is inclusive of who we are. And mm. it is not an, an, an external thought. And so what we have to, to know for sure is that in our theology, we must see us. Mm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, you also made, made reference to the LGBTQIA mm-hmm. plus. Um, and so, you know, I, I guess what I'd like to know is if you give me a little bit more in terms of what it is, do you want to know that the black church's kind of historical perspective around this? What, yeah. And, what's and, your question? Yeah. in the book, uh, if I remember correctly in the book, it, the book kind of just discussed how that's, you know, that, uh, the, the, the thoughts and, and, and concepts around that topic have, have been morphing and shifting through the years. Uh, so I'm just curious how you see that playing out perhaps yourself and perhaps historically. Yeah. Well, um, okay. Thank you for that clarification. And you're absolutely right. It, it has and continues to morph mm-hmm. in terms of 
both understanding and acceptance, mm-hmm. right? And so where I don't necessarily think that the Black church is a departure from a lot of religious institutions, there has been an evolution mm-hmm. of awareness and ability to be more inclusive of all identities, uh, and particularly the identity that seats within the LGBTQA community. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so while there has been this notion of don't ask, don't tell, because mm-hmm. if we're going to be honest, all identities have been represented within the Black church and within churches since the beginning of time. Yeah. But the degree by which we see them, that we that we acknowledge and that we receive them in their holistic expression has shifted and continues to shift. And so that idea of we know or we assume or we believe or we think, but as long as you don't talk about it, mm. we're okay, mm-hmm. perhaps was um, where we were in this conversation. Yeah. Many, but where we are in this present moment and certainly where we are moving towards is that um, the, the, the nature of seeing people and loving people and, and holding people for who they are in their identity is, is going to, in so many ways, be the distinct uh, difference between churches that I believe will be here long into the future and those who will be seen as less relevant. Mm. It is important. It is imperative, yeah. in my opinion, that we, um, that, that we as a Black church, and this is, where, this is one of the areas where I, I do have a significant critique, mm-hmm. because the, the, the identities of women, uh, the identities of, of those, uh, those in the community of the LGD, uh, LGBTQIA have not been... Um, fully embraced mm-hmm. in a way that I believe is, is important and is imperative. So this is where our opportunity is. And we are evolving many of our churches, not all, mm-hmm. because uh, Black churches, we can be very conservative. As African-American people, Black people, we are literally more on the conservative end than, uh, than people might imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do believe that, um, that we are opening, expanding and building our understanding, our awareness, and our ability to meet people and see people for who they are. Yeah, I really appreciate you sharing those perspectives. I think that's really helpful uh, for churches, uh, regardless of where they come from uh, and their cultural context. Uh, Something else that stood out to me in the book here, and I'm going to read, this is, I think, a quote here. Studies show Black Americans would rather rely on God than a religious leader to guide them. So I'm curious, do you think Black Church has done a better job at helping people develop a personal, intentional faith? Um, I think that, so it's a great question, thank you for that. I think the Black Church has done a very good job in guiding people, um, Black people, with the inevitability of that. Right? Hmm. So um, that relying on on God, that, that Pew study that talks about um, this very thing and this idea that we rather rely on God rather than a religious uh, a religious leader. Mm-hmm. I think if you if you unpack the history of Black people in this country, for me it almost seems like if you will, Lauren, just just roll with me on this sure. a no brainer, right? It just <laughs> seems like like out of the many things to think about that um, that perhaps is for me the most obvious because. 
the, the level of oppression, the level of marginalization, the level of discrimination um, can, can compromise one's ability to trust humanity. Hmm. And so when you are breathing for survival, when you are carrying the burden of the world, when you are challenged, um, not because of the content or the character, mm-hmm. but because of your color, yeah. right? Wholly and exclusively without regard of other considerations. Um, the relationship you have with God is really where you get, where we get our peace, where we get our centering, where we get our wholeness and confirmation. Now, religious leaders have an important role in our lives. Yeah. Uh, and what we've seen and what we know to be true, whether we're looking um, at the civil rights movement or whether we're looking at other movements in history, in American history, that have included and involved African-American expression, it is that it is our religious leaders that we do trust and that we do, uh, we do appreciate and, and, and follow their guidance um, in ways that has helped evolve the, the, the experience both from a legislative and legal perspective, but also from just a general equality perspective mm-hmm. um, to, to the next plane. But if I had to make a decision, and I have to, as, as a, I am a woman of faith, between putting my trust in God and putting my trust in man, again, it's kind of a no-brainer. But uh, it, it it is not to um, it is not to suggest that there's not a trust that we have in our leaders. Yeah. But our leaders have particular responsibilities. But our relationship is with God. Yeah. Uh, you know, as a white pastor, I just appreciate the kind of historical testimony of the black church because. At least from my perspective, what I see so at least it seems so prevalent perhaps in in white Christian America is there's so much of this kind of like uh, leader kind of following of these big personas who become big. Uh, secondly, there's there doesn't seem to be at least again from my perspective enough kind of a, a social oomph, the social mission that you talked about in in the black church historically. Like there is a personal faith, but I, I imagine we can agree on this. Like the personal faith needs to be lived out in public, right? Which is historically um, what the black church has done. So I, uh, that testimony, I think, is such a powerful a testimony and an example uh, to especially white church in America. Yeah. My, my father would say uh, to me, uh, and I saw it for myself, that justice is love in action, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, yeah, and I so that. I think that encompasses uh, what the Black church has been um, for Black people. It is, it is showing the love by progressing the, uh, the mission, uh, the mandatory mission of equity and justice. Mm-hmm. Um, so I... I I talked to you a little bit about this before we start recording uh, that one of the topics of conversation that I often have with, with guests uh, who are not white is this, this idea that often in America, uh, white churches often come to churches of color uh, with like a teacher mentality. Like we have all the answers around um, how to do church, what church to look like, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I'm curious, uh, what do you think, 
would be some important lessons uh, predominantly white churches could learn from uh, black churches? Yeah, that's that's a that's a really interesting question, um, and I, and I know the lessons are many mm-hmm. uh, because of the experiences that have required the black church to look beyond the masses and see the individual, see the human stories, see the human plight and expression. And and one of the many things that I think the black church does well is that uh, it is relationship centered, Mm -hmm. right? It is uh, to know, and, and this is not to suggest that I have a full grasp and understanding of the white church because I do not. Sure. But what I what I know of the black church is that it is important to know uh, know the people who are um, who are being served, whether it is the individuals inside of the church uh, from from the perspective of membership or those in the periphery who are in the community who are also ex- who are also experiencing the presence of the church in that community. Um, and and so the fact that the black church takes on this um, this important mission of serving, the serving going beyond uh, the walls to really uh, provide services, to provide opportunities, to provide voices to those who are often marginalized and voiceless mm-hmm. uh, is just one of the, the things that I think from a human perspective and a human dynamic uh, is always something to, to learn from, to be able to see the visibility, the humanity of the individual. But I think additionally, the black church uh, has, has done a, uh, a really important job around um, the uplifting of our young people. Hmm. Uh, and and the, again, not suggesting that the white church isn't right. doing that because I don't know. Uh, but I do know that that has, that is always um, such that is always such an important aspect when you're when you are when you are in the light of a human being. And so, let me give you an example yeah. of what I mean. So, um, as a little girl, I was very shy and 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 um, pretty quiet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, but but as as the PK uh, in the church, there were opportunities that were made available to me, and one of those opportunities was welcoming the visitors. Hmm which was really the, the job of, of the young people in the church. <laughs> Adults did it, but this was our, our moment to shine yeah, in the church. Yeah. And just, I remember so vividly, Lauren, being able to go into the pulpit and having the mic uh, be pulled down <laughs> to meet me where I was with yep. my height. I'm not tall to begin yep. with, but I was <laughs> really short when I was eight, nine years old. Um, and having the awesome res- responsibility to be able to welcome um, the visitors of the church. What that did for me as a little girl uh, continues to inform me in my present uh, womanness. Hmm. And that is the ability to be comfortable and to be confident, to stand before an audience and to stand before others and, and, um, and speak in a way that, uh, brings connection and invites a, a welcoming spirit. Yeah. You know, I, I, to this day, I, I charge that as the reason why I do the public speaking that I do today. Hmm. It's because of that first opportunity mm-hmm. 
that that was given to me as a very little girl and continue to support my development as I grew up into an adult. Hmm. That's good. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, let me ask you one more question here before we take a break. Uh, many churches across the country, as we're recording this, are, are still trying to figure out like uh, how to get people back, perhaps. Uh, many churches and denominations are in decline. I'm curious, like, what do you see as as the biggest challenges facing black churches today? And, or, and what do you hope perhaps is maybe uh, responses to those challenges or opportunities for them going forward? You know, when we when I think about the black church, I understand clearly that they come in all shapes and sizes mm-hmm. from the, the small storefront. Yeah. That was that was really a part of how we began our expression, particularly in that northern areas, um, informed by the Great Migration, and, and so those intimate spaces um, where there might only be two or three or four families in the entire church, mm-hmm. to the to the mega churches that have thousands upon thousands upon thousands of members. Uh, I think that regardless of the size or the shape, uh, the challenges remain the same. And that is how do you how do you stay relevant to millennials and Gen Xers and the generations that are continuing to uh, to come forth and 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 know of the church? How do you stay relevant? Yeah. Um, and and then in that relevance, how does that look from a twenty first century perspective? So um, the ability to so the challenges around communication and communication style mm-hmm. uh, inclusion and and how um, how young people have a different uh, understanding perspective around um, people's humanity yeah right it, it's it's certainly around shaping programming that matters to the community and to the audiences that they are serving mm-hmm. right so you in essence you can't do things in a 20th century way yeah when you're in the 21st century yeah. And the ability to, or the inability to evolve, to have that that uh, that uh, capacity to progress forward in that way, will determine, in my in my opinion, the success or the failure ultimately of of that individual church institution, that church, that individual church institution. Yeah. I think the black church overall will always have an important presence. It's going to shape and it's going to morph, yeah, uh, as everything yep. is, but. Its presence, in my opinion, is pretty solid. Well, thank you so much for this conversation. Again, the book is 100 Questions and Answers About the Black Church, the Social and Spiritual Movement of a People. Um, Frida, let's take a quick break. We'll come back with some closing questions. All right, we're back with Frida Sampson. Uh, Frida, really appreciate the conversation. Really appreciate your insights and sharing with me and our audience here. Uh, Some closing questions. Uh, again, I'll tell everyone you can take these as seriously or not as you'd like to, but if you're Pope for a day, what does that day look like? What would you want to do? That kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> let me, let me imagine being Pope for the, for the day. Um, I, I love that question. Uh, I, honestly, I think it, it, it's pretty simple. I would, um, I would have women be priests. Mm-hmm. I would, I would be a part of that, 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 that moment in history where women could be ordained as as priests in the Catholic faith. That's a big day. It's a big day. That's a big day, right? (laughs) I'm all about it. (laughs) A theologian or historical Christian figure you'd want to meet or bring back to life? 
That might be the easiest question you've asked me so far, Lauren. <laughs> <laughs> it would uh, it would absolutely be my father. Oh, uh, lovely. He was, and if you give me just a moment of grace, his it. name was Reverend Dr. Frederick George Sampson II. And um, he was both my pastor, my father, and he was also my friend. And in my opinion, one of the most historical figures that has walked the, the face of this earth to this day. And so um, I would absolutely, and I know that there are many who would echo my sentiments, mm-hmm. would love to uh, have, and he transitioned in 2001, mm. but would have loved to have, uh, have, have had him in these moments of, of such turmoil um, that we have experienced in this last many years. Mm-hmm up to and inclusive, how in the world do you support and sustain your faith through a pandemic? Yeah, yeah. Right. Well, thanks for sharing that. I'm glad that was an easy question for you. It was an easy question. (laughs) Uh, What do you think history will remember from our current time and place? If history is paying attention, I think that what will be remembered is the profound conflict Hmm. and tension. I think that history will hopefully see that the grappling um, around how we are able to be whole and live our our best human experience um, continues to be something that um, we, we, we struggle with, that we have to navigate through. And at the same time, how we have found a way despite um, division, despite uh, misunderstanding or, or uh, misunderstanding is an understatement, <laughs> but to, to despite uh, racism, to despite sexism, homophobia, uh, patriarchy, the list can go on and on and on and on. Mm-hmm. Um, despite those things, we, we human beings have found a way to still be resilient mm. And what are the lessons that we can that 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 history will teach the the, the future generations about how we behave today? Uh, I hope that uh, it will be a truthful mm. history. Mm-hmm. I hope it won't be a revisionist yeah. history. Yeah. Uh, and I hope that the history will be inclusive of more than one voice. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Um, where do you hope for the future of Christianity? Dr. Frank Thomas, who uh, is a professor at um, a, a seminary in Indiana, Christian Theological Seminary, uh, talks about radical ministry, right? Uh, and, and so when I think about how he frames what it means to be radical, which is to be committed uh, to the point where it, be, it, is, it is not a norm, but it is really elevating the ability to be the best of what you are in that regard. Hmm. What I hope for with Christianity is that we find a way to be radically inclusive. Hmm. Well, thank you so much again for this conversation, for your time and for your perspectives. Share if you would. Uh, how people can connect with you if they'd like and uh, uh, 
perhaps about the book where they can find the book. Absolutely. So uh, you can get the book on um, Amazon. I'm, I'm pretty certain of it. Uh, it is published by Front Edge Publishing, and um, you can also probably find it uh, at Michigan State University uh, in terms of perhaps their bookstores. But you can you can go on Amazon and get it. Uh, I can be reached at do my website, which is FridaGSampson.com. Well, again, thank you so much. I always leave folks with a word of peace. Uh, May God's peace be with you. Thank you. And with you as well. Thanks for joining us on the Future Christian Podcast. To learn more about Lauren or the podcast, visit future-christian.com. One more thing before you go, do us a favor and subscribe to the podcast. And if you're feeling especially generous, leave a review. It really helps us get the word out to more people about the podcast. The Future Christian Podcast is a production of Torn Curtain Arts and Resonate Media. Our episodes were mixed by Danny Burton, and the production support is provided by Paul Romaglevitt. Thanks, and go in peace. Peace.